no, no, yeah, no. We we didn't play the way we usually play because you saw against Philadelphia, even with ten men, we bossed the first half. Vancouver also, then it became too difficult. Obviously, with the amount of games that we played, to sustain a certain level of uh, physicality, playing with ten men, and, and you saw that we paid against New England because we were dead physically. I thought at times, but what I didn't like too much is we didn't even try to play against uh, against New England. So um, let's go back to that. Uh, that's who we are, and that's how we're gonna. That's how we're gonna be. Uh, we've scored so many goals playing out from the back. So when it does happen, people are all happy. When you struggle for the first time against uh, New England, that it doesn't happen, people are asking why you come out from the back. There's impact that coach Terry Henry yesterday, just uh, leading into his final uh, Zoom conference call ahead of tomorrow night's game, which you can hear on TSN 690 as the impact try to get back to their winning ways uh, at Red Bull Arena against the New York Red Bulls. Of course, that's Terry Henry's uh, former team. This is Saturday Sports on TSN 690. Joey Alfieri with you till noon. Pleasure to welcome back to the show. He's the Montreal Impact's assistant sporting director. He's Vasily Kremenzidis. Vasily, what's going on? How are you? Good, good. How are you, Joy? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, this is uh, the third episode of the show, and you've already been on twice, so I think you are officially the uh, show's all-time leader in guest appearances. How does that feel? Yeah, it feels great. I enjoy coming on your show. I enjoy talking with you. I enjoy talking all things Montreal and back. All right. Uh, I talked about it earlier on in the show. Uh, we talked about the the rumors that uh, linked the impact to Kevin Prince Boateng. Of course, uh, he has signed with Monza in Italy's second division. Uh, so, got to ask you. I mean, what was the level of interest there, and uh, how close did it come to happening? Yeah. Well, look. First off, I um, you know I listened to what you had said before, and um, you know, listen, we won't comment on rumors that happen in the media. The rumors are rumors. However, you know, our philosophy has been made clear on what we want to do, investing in younger players, and you can see that with several guys on our team, um, especially this season, namely Binks and Kiza, and, you know, we've had a few other guys in, in the last year as well with, um, you know, like Balu and players of that sort. So, you know, with that being said, of course, you know, if there's a possibility with an older veteran player that has a certain quality that can bring you a leadership presence in the locker room, um, you just bring something to the team. And, of course, all of that comes at a good price. Uh, then we would have to consider him. So, you know, there needs to be a fit all around for us to pursue such a player. So just in terms of, you know, not him specifically now, I mean, he's not available anymore anyway, but the likelihood of you guys being able to to find somebody uh, who fits, you know, the bill with this team, who fills a need, uh, regardless of the age, like what's the likelihood that you guys would be able to add anybody outside of Mustafa Kiza between now and the end of the season? Well, like the transfer window closes on October 29th. Mm-hmm. Uh, that gives us another month. Depending on the player's current location, um, you know, passport status and all that, depending on visas and work permits to come into Canada and to the States, um, that is a lot of stuff that is kind of pending and a little bit out of our control. But we, you know, we've spoken with a lot of different players. Our job is constantly working on different guys, different positions, preparing for 2021, seeing what we can do for 2020 to add guys. Um, not saying there will be, not saying there won't be, but you know we're constantly working, constantly trying, and um, this thing to improve our team. We don't want to make a decision. We don't want to make a choice without um, you know him being part of the philosophy and being part of the future. Nothing that would be short term, unless you know if there's a possibility with a player that you know similar to what we described with you know, a veteran player that can bring a lot of things on a short-term deal that would make sense for us, you know, it would be a fit that would be on a good price, then, of course, we would continue uh, and pursue those opportunities. But, 
in in the other sense with the younger guys with the players um you know that are going to try and help us for 2021 and beyond those are going to make sure we're going to do everything we can to um to get it right and if um the opportunity doesn't present itself in the next month then we'll already i mean we've already been preparing for a while for 2021 but we'll have to continue for 2021 so but what you're saying is regardless of age if it makes sense financially, you guys are pretty much open to anything if you feel it makes it if it makes you yeah, better. Yeah, and when it makes sense financially, you know, you're talking about the different level of contracts in MLS. So obviously, you have the designated players, which are really high paid players. You have the targeted allocation money players, which are players making you know between the whole all in all budget charge, including transfer fee and everything. You're talking between like six hundred thousand and one point six million. Right. And that's that's Boyan, for example, right? That's where his contract falls right. in right now. Um, you know, and then, of course, you have all your roster players which don't fall in any of those categories. And if you get a player of you know, high quality and everything that we describe with a veteran presence and can bring something to the team, then um, you know, especially if he comes into the you know, rostered salary, which would be under that 600K, then, of course, it could definitely benefit us. And um, you know, we would look very closely at those opportunities. Right. But, so I was debating this with somebody yesterday. Um, you know, somebody was convinced that if if Kevin, a player like Kevin Prince Boateng comes to MLS, he's a designated player. In my mind, he's not a designated player. Is is that a fair assessment? Uh, I, I don't want to comment on the player himself, but I mean, yeah. Look, when we're not trying to get designated players in their mid thirties um, to come to our team, we prefer you know at least under thirty. Uh, that's who I think we have our guys at right now, mm-hmm. and you know, in the future, try to get him even younger. Um, you know, with the possibility of, you know, just investing in the players rather than just having them on the squad, um, you know, as, uh, as as an expense or more or less, for a lack of a better word. But investment on players, especially at that high level of, um, of uh, financial investment, would be our ideal uh, scenario. He's Vasily Kremenzidis. He's the Impact's Assistant Sporting Director joining us on Saturday Sports with Joey Alfieri on TSN 690. Um I know when you were with us a couple weeks ago, uh, you gave us an update on the player from Uganda, the left fullback that you've signed, Mustafa Kiza. Uh, you said, you mentioned you weren't sure with the work permits and all that stuff if he was going to be able to join the team. Has there been anything new you can tell us about that? Anything, any developments? Yeah, there's been a little bit of development. Um, you know, we are hoping that it happens pretty soon and relatively soon. I mean, I don't want to give a date to it. We know when the transfer window closes. Um, we're definitely helping, hoping that he comes to help us uh, before then. There has been progress, you know, with the COVID situation and everything going on in the world. Um, the visas were a little bit harder to come by, and they had a certain lockdown in um, in Uganda. Right. Uh, and, the, and the passport office or, or whatever he needed to do to get his visa wasn't actually in the in that area. So it took a little bit longer than anticipated, and you're hoping to get that done um, relatively soon so that he can join us. So the plan is still for him to come uh, for the 2020 season. Okay, yeah. So, I mean, hopefully, yeah, that's definitely a position where uh, you guys can use some help. And if you can get the guy familiar, you know, with the club heading into 2021, if he can actually get minutes, I think that's a that's a, that's a a really big deal. So hopefully that sorts itself out. Um, the other thing I want to ask you about, we know, and I know you follow hockey as well, but in the NHL, we know that given, you know, the, the, the current, you know, financial landscape around the league and no fans and all that stuff, uh, the salary cap is staying flat at eighty-one and a half million for the next couple of years. Um, in MLS, like, what's what's your guys's deal 
Do you know, you know, is the cap coming down? Is it staying flat? Like, what do you guys have to spend here going into, you know, this transfer window and even beyond over the next year? Or, like, how much clarity is there in that? Yeah, so obviously the pandemic has affected all the leagues. I mean, as you know, I try to follow a lot of sports, hockey, football, basketball, baseball, but, you know, mainly MLS uh, for, for work purposes. Um, the original CBA that was signed with the players' union and the league, um, you know, it was supposed to have, yes, it, it was supposed to have five years consecutive, five subsequent years that everything would continue going up. And I'm talking about the salary cap and the general allocation money. So our current salary cap is at 4.9 million, and in 2021 it was supposed to go to 5.21 million. I know we're talking, you know, different figures in the NHL right now, but it's still a significant amount. Yeah, you're, you're, you know, that's a little bit over 300,000 then you got your gam your general allocation money going from 1.5 to 5 to 1.9 million and that's going to stay the same so it's going to stay at 1.5 to 5 that's another about 400,000 that was planned so all in all you got about 700,000 in budget space that was originally planned for for 21 2021 but all of that changed due to um, the pandemic of course you know on top of that um Almost every player's contract increases next season, no matter what. Um, so, you know, whether that's a 5% increase, if not more, so that doesn't help as well. And, you know, there are a couple of changes that work towards our advantage, but all in all, you're talking about a significant amount of money that was previewed for 2021 that will not be there. You know, with that being said, though, you know, we've tried our best to pre-plan, not pre-plan for a pandemic, of course, but try to pre-plan with our contracts. Uh, we already have some higher contracts that are guaranteed for next season, so... We're trying to manage all the situations at once. Um, there's not that that much money available for next season, but we're doing our best we can with that, and um, you know, including the contracts that are guaranteed and everything. There won't be much room to maneuver, but we're going to do our best to find solutions um, to you know managing the salary cap and managing our roster. He's Vasily Kremenzidis, the Impact Assistant Sporting Director, joining us on Saturday Sports with Joey Alfieri on TSN 690. Uh, so to the casual fan, I just want to clear something up because I know there's, you know, the I have a hard time keeping track of MLS salary cap rules and all that stuff. So you're saying $4.9 million cap, but teams do spend much, much more than that, right? Like it's not, you're not limited to 4.9 just because, you know, I know there's some people who they always tweet me or, or text me during the show and they say, oh, you keep mentioning designated player. What does that mean? And it just basically means that, you know, you can pay, for example, you know, if we use the Nacho Piatti example from last year, you guys were paying whatever above, you know, the three, four, five million dollars for that player, but he only counts for how much is it? Like 600,000? What's the yeah, amount? Yeah, let's just say about 600. It, it, every year it goes up. It, it's six, twelve, five hundred this year, and then next year it's the same amount, and it goes up about uh, it goes up a few percentages every year. It's it's twelve and a half percent of the cap. Right. So you can have you know a player making five million dollars a year on your team, but he only you know for to to fit him under the cap to make it easier to build the squad around him, he only counts for six hundred thousand. Each MLS team has uh, three of those slots. So that's just one of the ways uh, that MLS teams uh, can spend um, can spend more than the four point nine million you're talking about. Um, all right, I want to get into. Yeah, to... I, I could just touch on that for a second. Yes. Yes. Of course. You know with the. You've got almost two different budgets, right? So you've got the 4.9 million with the GAM that is all provided for by the league, and then everything else is at the you know discretion of the club. So the DPs and the, the you know discretionary target allocation players, um, you know like Boyan and, and and whatnot, like you mentioned before. So there's basically two different budgets that work it, and it's just based on the club 
and um, how they want to build their roster on what you would be able to do. Right. Yeah, it's just I know it's a little complex for the average fan, so just realize that when Vasily says the cap is at $4.9 million, there are teams in MLS that are spending uh, way, way more than that. I'm pretty sure you guys are above $4.9 million too, given the fact that you have two designated players as well. Yeah, there's no team that doesn't use discretionary yeah, funds. Of course. As soon as you have DPs or town players, you're already into those funds. So uh, all, all the teams are pretty much spending way above the 4.9 million cap. Right. Yeah, okay, fair enough. Um, all right, so to the team uh, here, I mean, I mentioned off the top, game on TSN 690 tomorrow night, New York Red Bulls, the impact go in. They've lost three in a row. Um, just your overall impressions uh, the last week, losing to Vancouver, Philadelphia, and New England. What have you seen? What have you taken away uh, from those performances? Yeah, so I guess, you know, a few things, right? We've got in certain red cards in those games. Um red cards for things we shouldn't be taking, things that have cost us the game. I think we've been playing quite well when we've had 11 guys. I think our, most of the games we've been uh, competitive even with 10, but it's hard. You know, the guys have played have a really, really tight schedule, so the guys have played a lot of games, and every team is in the same boat, so it's not just us. You know, you play Saturday, Wednesday, Sunday, you play every three, four days, not even, sorry, two, three days. Um, it becomes difficult. And, um, you know, during the regular season, when this happens once every month or you know, once every two months or whatever it may be, you can manage it. You can either rotate your squad or you can prepare for it. But now you have all of these players, all of these games, um, all the players getting tired with all of these games coming together. Um, you know, and then and at the same time, you know, our schedule, right? So we're not playing any games here at home, no games in Montreal um, for the rest of the season, unless, of course, something changes with the the laws and the government, but I don't think it will. Um, and with that being said, we've played all our games at Red Bull Arena, so essentially everything is a road game. And the players are, you know, it, it, mentally it's draining. Um, it's not easy to explain to, 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 I guess, in general, but mentally it's quite draining to not have any more home games. Um, the players and the staff, they're away from their families uh, for a significant amount of time, something that wasn't previewed during the year. I know we're all adapting in the, in the meantime. But it's just difficult, you know. So you shoot yourself in the foot with some red cards. You you pick up a few injuries. Uh, some take longer to heal than others. Mm-hmm. You've got a tight schedule of games. Um, mentally, it's draining on everybody. So there's there's a lot of factors. But again, we're not we wouldn't be making any excuses on this. We we've been um, you know playing relatively well in, in some games, and uh, you know continue to build on what we're doing and uh, work with the guys that we have. Work with the schedule that we've been given. And, um, you know, do our best possible from here on out. There's still quite a few games remaining. We still sit in a playoff spot. Um, there are positives that are going on um, right now as well with the team. Uh, all right, so we mentioned game tomorrow night at 7. It's at Red Bull Arena, but it's a road game because you are playing the New York Red Bulls. Uh, then you have uh, you have six days between games, right? There's no midweek game this week. You guys play Chicago Saturday. That's at Red Bull Arena, so that's a quote-unquote uh, home game uh, for you guys. I, I know there were certain players. Uh, Safir Tider was one of them, very uh, skeptical about spending so much more time uh, away from home. Do you think, like, with this hole in the schedule here, I mean, it's it's not really a hole, it's six days, but uh, do you anticipate the team, like, the players going to be able to come back and see family between Sunday and Saturday? Uh, so the coach is still evaluating that. I'm, you know, we're, we're leaning in that direction. 
Um, I know it's tomorrow after the game that we would, uh, if we did come back, we would travel tomorrow after the game, come back for you know two three days, and then head back out to New York. But they're still evaluating it, um, and they'll make a decision. It's you know we fly charter, so it's nothing that you know we don't have to make it too too early. And um, mm-hmm. yeah, they'll decide amongst themselves what they and speak with the team as well and um, decide what they think is best. Yeah, I have uh, one more for you, Vasily. Um... We, we've noticed that uh, ever since uh, Jason DiTullio was announced as the U23 uh, head coach, uh, Patrice Bernier is taking on a different role. He's kind of a liaison, I guess, between the U23 uh, and the first team. Uh, he's not with the team right now, so he hasn't been on the bench uh, since that announcement happened. Is there any plan to name another coach before the end of the season, or is that something you guys revisit in the offseason? Well, normally we have one additional coach then. Than what we normally would have in the future, like what many teams do. Mm-hmm. Patrice's role, you know, is, I mean, it's pretty good um, liaison in between the teams. I mean, he's been with the academy, he's been with the first team, um, he's good with working with the younger guys, with the high performance players, with our first team. And, you know, if it was a normal season uh, with them in Montreal, with the team in Montreal, he would be back and forth with both, working with some of the younger okay. academy players that we've signed um, with the first team. So, yeah, look, he, he's back here in Montreal, of course. Um, you know, working with the academy, staying with some of the younger guys to help in their development, and hopefully uh, they can get into the first team too. All right, thanks for doing this, Vasily. And uh, on a lighter note, uh, your Patriots, my Raiders this weekend. Uh, how do you feel about uh, how do you feel about going up against the high flying Oakland Raiders? Uh, Oakland, Las Vegas Raiders. Hey, you're gonna take a little bit of time to get used to that. Oh yeah. Change. Um, no, look, I mean, obviously, I want my Patriots to win. Um, I think we have a pretty good team. I think even for fantasy purposes, we put on some good points with some of those guys I have on the team. I know uh-huh. you have some of those as well. Yeah. And uh, well, look, uh, I want to say good luck to you guys, but I mean, I'm always supporting the teams that uh, the teams that I like. So, you know how much I like football, and the Patriots are. Uh, I'm a fan of those. Maybe not a lot of people support that, but it's um, it's something I grew up with, and uh, it's always fun on Sunday to watch those. And you know, we'll have a little rivalry going between me and you. I'm sure during that game. You cannot have Cam Newton, and uh, all the best the rest of the way, right? <laughs> Thank you very much, Joey. That's Vas- have a good one. Yeah, you too. That's Vasily Kremenzidis, the assistant sporting director of the Montreal Impact. Uh, so then confirm, didn't deny uh, the reports about uh, Kevin Prince Boateng reading between the lines. I think it kind of goes back to the opinion, my opinion that I gave you off the top of the show, that they're open to adding older players, but they would obviously have to come at the right price. And uh, clearly, uh, I mean, he, he chose to go to Monza. It's a different story. Uh, so the impact move on. And as Vasily said, uh, maybe there is an addition. Maybe there isn't. The uh, transfer window closes at the end of October. So they do still have some time uh, if they want to make a, a splash or just a, a tweak here, a tweak there. Uh, but uh, very interesting to follow this uh, developing story with the Montreal Impact and having to play their home games at Red Bull Arena. It's a big one tomorrow night. Get back to your winning ways. Try to put this three-game losing streak behind you. And the big thing is, like, just see who's fresh, like, who's available to go. Uh, we know that uh, Safir Tider missed the last game, and there's a couple other guys uh, that are out with injuries as well. Uh, so uh, we'll definitely be keeping an eye on the Montreal Impact tomorrow night right here on TSN 690. Pre-game coverage beginning at 6 o'clock. The NHL's buyout window opened yesterday at 5. Many have speculated that it's time for Mark Bergevay to buy out the remaining years on Carl Alsner's contract. I'll tell you why buying out Alsner doesn't make sense for the Canadians this year. This is Saturday Sports. Joey Alfieri on TSN 690.
Um, yeah, I mean, there was definitely more, more to consider this time around. Um, and then when we, when we signed, uh, after I was traded, um, you know, before we, uh, my wife was pregnant with our, with our first, um, our first son and now we have three. So, and the, the oldest is, you know, at the age where he has to start school. So, you know, we had to do um, some research on, on things like that uh, to make sure that, you know, not only would it be a good fit for, for my career and my hockey, uh, but also for, for my family. There's Jeff Petrie after signing that four-year extension worth $6.25 million per year uh, with the Montreal Canadiens yesterday on his Zoom call. This is Saturday Sports on TSN 690. I'm Joey Alfieri with you uh, till noon. And just a reminder, former Al's all-star linebacker Tim Strickland uh, will be joining us uh, just after 11.30. I, I love in that clip with uh, Jeff Petrie, he goes, you know, last time I signed, uh, we had one son, and now we have three you heard the sigh there. Uh, I'm sure uh, those three boys, probably a handful uh, for the Petrie clan, but uh, happy to see uh, Jeff and uh, and the family sticking around Montreal uh, for the long-term future. Uh, the buyout window for the NHL opened yesterday at 5 p.m. And you may have noticed the Ottawa Senators put Bobby Ryan on waivers with the purpose of buying out his contract. And, of course, chatter uh, on uh, the uh, the Twitterverse and amongst Montreal Canadiens fans was, well, hey, I mean, if Bobby Ryan's being bought out, this is the perfect offseason to buy out Carl Alsner's contract. And uh, just taking a look at Alsner, uh, he's got two years left at $4.625 million cap hit per season. And uh, I mentioned it a couple times throughout the show, and I'm going to finally explain. I'm going to show my work now, even though I was told uh, when I took this job at TSN 690 there would be no math. But look at me uh, breaking down hockey analytics, breaking down salary cap stuff with the Montreal Impact, and uh, explaining to you why buying out Carl Alsner uh, this season or this offseason doesn't make sense. Um, all right, so we mentioned... $4.625 million left this year, $4.625 next season as well. So if you do buy out Alsner, uh, here, you know what? I'll tell you right now. Instead of me explaining it to you, why don't we listen to what uh, agent provocateur Alan Walsh had to say uh, on Melnick in the afternoon yesterday, and then I'll explain my rationale. I'll follow it up. So if you're looking to buy out a player... Um, or you're considering a buyout for a player with two years remaining on his contract, it's going to be two-thirds the value of that deal spread over uh, four years. That's a significant amount of time when you don't know what the NHL landscape is going to look like three and four years out. Buyouts come with a specific cost. It's a real cost to teams and it's a and it is not great uh, when you have a flat cap and the cap may remain flat for three to four years going forward to start adding uh, years uh, to your cap uh, because a buyout will apply to the cap double the term. All right, so that's uh, agent provocateur Alan Walsh joining Melnick in the afternoon, usually on Thursday, but he joined us on the show uh, yesterday. So uh, to make it even simpler for you, there's two years remaining on Carl Alsner's deal. 
at $4.625 million per year, like we said. To buy him out, you've got to pay him two-thirds of that money, the total $9.25 million, and you have to spread it out over double the years remaining on the contract. So he has two years left on his contract. You've got to pay him that two-thirds over four years. But thanks to uh, our good friends at Cap Friendly, who have their buyout calculator that I'm sure gets a workout in this city in particular and throughout the NHL. I know I use it <laughs> probably more than I should. Um, this is how the breakdown would be. So if you bought out Carl Alsner this year, the cap hit, the dead money that you take on the cap next year is $3.958 million for the 2020-2021 season. It would drop down to $1.958 million for 2021-2022, and then it shrinks down to $833,000 in 2022-23 and 23-24. So for this year, if you buy out Carl Alsner, you have almost $4 million of dead money on the cap. His cap hit, if he's on the team, is $4.625 million. And although you can't bury full contracts in the minors anymore, you can still send a player down to the minors and save up to $1.075 million. So if you keep Alsner and send him to Laval, you would save $1.075 million on the cap. If you buy him out, not only do you have to pay him for the next four years on your salary cap, but for 2020-2021, you'd only be saving $666,667. So keep him on the team, send him to Laval, you save $1.075 million. Buy him out in the next couple weeks, not only do you have to pay almost $4 million on the cap this year, you also have to pay him for the next three years at those smaller amounts. So uh, unfortunately... Or, you know, unfortunately for Carl Alsner, it looks like he's going to be sticking around Montreal-Laval, uh, but it doesn't look like he's going to be able to go out and sign with another team that might be willing to give him uh, an opportunity at the NHL level. That's just, uh, that's the situation he's in. Uh, I feel for Carl Alsner. He's, uh, he's, I mean, he's, you know, he's a professional that's played a ton of games, had a long Ironman streak that snapped here when uh, he was made a healthy scratch, but it looks like he's going to be sticking around uh, Laval. Uh, for 2020, 2021, whenever that season gets going. And, I mean, the, this is from, obviously, this is from a business standpoint, right? So if the Canadians want to do what makes the most financial sense, then they don't buy him out and they just ship him to Laval for a year and then they revisit the buyout next year. Uh, if they're, you know, thinking of doing him a favor, they buy him out and have him go look for an opportunity elsewhere, then that's something else. But if they're going to do what's best for business and what's best for them, which I think that's what they're going to do, uh, you do not buy out Carl Alsner uh, this uh, this offseason, and you probably wait till next year. He was a great cup hero for the Alouettes back in 2002, and he excelled under legendary head coach Don Matthews. Former Owls linebacker Timothy Strickland will share some of his great stories with us on Saturday Sports with Joey Alfieri on TSN 690. Now it comes down to this. A two-point convert to tie. a two-point lead and 19 seconds left. And Chris, remember two years ago, it was a missed two-point convert that cost the Alouettes a chance to win the Grey Cup. You know what? They tried to get it in the year 2000. 
tried to get the two-point conversion to Haskins. He tripped on the goal and it fell. BC won the cup. What a great job in this case of Strickland coming, following the very elusive Terry Vaughn, who was there trying to clear it out, get him to the flat. Strickland, nice job of going there. Yeah, welcome back. Saturday Sports on TSN 690. How about that visit to the time machine? Back in 2002, the Montreal Alouettes taking down the Edmonton Eskimos in the Grey Cup. That was uh, Tim Strickland's uh, rookie year with the Alouettes, and he made that huge play on the two-point convert on Terry Vaughn. Uh, the Alouettes were up by two at that time, and uh, we know what happened next. They held on to win. And uh, partly that was thanks to uh, what Tim Strickland was able to do on that play. And uh, you may remember we played this uh, with uh, Uzuma Okeke, the left tackle for the Owls in that game, the Hall of Famer a couple weeks ago. Uh, Jermaine Copeland returned an onside kick for a touchdown, and that's all she wrote. The Alouettes' 25-year Grey Cup trout was over. Talk about that and so much more. Football in this city, he was three-time. CFL East Division All-Star and a Grey Cup champ, as you heard right there, Tim Strickland from his home in Memphis. Tim, what's going on, man? Thanks for joining us. Man, everything is love, man. <laughs> Thank you for having me on. Everything is good. Um, just a great day right now. Yeah, man. So, uh, look, you made a lot of plays during – you were here from 02 to 07. You made a lot of plays. But when somebody says Tim Strickland – that play, your rookie year, two-point conversion, great up on the line, that's the play that I think of. Take me back to that time. Were you expecting that it was going to come your way? Because, you, I mean, Terry Vaughn, who later became your teammate, one of the best to ever do it, one of the best receivers in, in CFL history. Like, that's take right. me back to that play, man. Like, what do you remember from that play? Um, You know what was so crazy about that play is I actually – um. I don't think I've ever told this story, not on live radio, but um, the night before I was watching the Grey Cup when Montreal, I think, lost to somebody in B Calgary. BC. Yes. Okay. So now the, the offensive coordinator for Montreal Alouettes was, I think, um, Danny. But anyway, it was it was Danny Machocha. Danny Machocha is now. Yeah, he's the, Danny Machocha. He's the GM. And he, ran that, and he ran that play with Thomas Haskins. Yeah. So. When that when it came up, Terry Vaughn never lined up in front of me the whole game. So and and really, I I really just knew the play. I knew the play because I had seen it the, the night before. He had ran the same play. I think to win try to win the Great Cup. I don't know if they got it or they missed it. I can't remember. I I don't think they got it. They didn't. He came back to the same play, and I was really just sitting on it. And uh, that's how that's how I kind of played out. Just me watching the game the night before, sitting in my hotel. I saw that play, and on top of Terry Vaughn never lined up over me. So once I kind of picked that up, I just really, you know, played the play. I trusted it, and, and you know, and the rest is history. That's incredible, Tim. I mean, you're, you're Saturday night in your hotel room before the Great Cup yep. on Sunday. Me and Reggie you, Durden. Me and you Reggie and Reggie Durden were watching, watching the – you guys were watching the 2000 – was Reggie on that 2000 team? Because you weren't. I, I think he was. I think he either came late, but – but I know that they lost that that great that game. Yeah. But I know they ran that play with Thomas Haskins. Right. Thomas Haskins was my teammate that mm -hmm. year in Montreal. Yeah, my, my rookie year. Yeah, me and Thomas Haskins was on the team together. Yeah. So uh, small world. You mentioned Danny Machocha was the offensive coordinator for the Owls in 2000. Uh, yeah. He, he was the offensive coordinator for Edmonton in, for the, two, yeah, so in 2002. Yeah. So he came back to that same play. Yeah. And. And I had, you know, my, I know, I, I just knew, the, I knew it was coming because 
you know, Terry Vaughn never lines up <laughs> over me. And, you know, so when he's lined up and he and he comes behind that line of scrimmage, I was just sitting on there. It was just a great job, really, between Dirty and um, getting his hands on his receiver to allow me to play over top of him and stay on top of Terry Vaughn just to make a play on the ball. And I, I'm not sure if you're aware, Tim. I don't know how closely you're following. Obviously, with no CFL season, it's tough to follow. But this winter, uh, the Alouettes named Danny Machocha. He's done a great job this winter, but he's their general manager right now. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, yeah, man. But Trump was a, he's a he's a great guy, man. You know, um, always gave us problems. And, and matter of fact, that next year in the Great Cup, they came up with a ga- a great scheme to mm-hmm. beat our, our our blitz. So you know, it was just it's just a chess match, man. That's all it is. And um, you know, I won that one. But the next year, they came back and, and beat us. You know, and by you know having a plan for our our, our blitz. He's former. CFL East Division All-Star linebacker for the Montreal Alouettes, Tim Strickland, joining us on Saturday Sports with Joey Alfieri on TSN 690. Uh, all right, you mentioned the following year you guys lost to Edmonton. In 04, you didn't make the Great Cup. In 05, you lost to Edmonton again with Danny as the head yep. coach. And then yep. uh, there was the controversial one that I'm still not over, by the way, in 06 uh, with BC. Which one of those yeah. hurt the most? Uh, the one, the overtime... In BC, oh five to Edmonton, be- and it's only because it was our only fault. I mean, like that kickoff return killed us, um, mm-hmm. and our best special team player, best special team player in the league, missed a tackle, which never happens. I can't think of my boy's name right now, but it is, but he, he never missed it. He was, matter of fact, he was a Pro Bowl in the NFL. I just can't think of his name right now, mm-hmm. but um, he missed the tackle and the, and the and the kickoff return, which I can't think of his name. He took it to the house, and then. We gave up two plays, which we knew the play was coming. Um, it pretty much almost like, like um, 2002 Great Cup. Um, they line um, what you call up in the in the in the slot, which he never lines up, and we gave up two corner routes to him. Which um, Jason was it? Know, Jason Tucker was coming. Was Tucker. that it? Was Tucker? It was Jason Tucker, number yeah. three. He never lines up there, and um, we just we gave it up for the touchdown, and we gave up two points from Birds and sent it to overtime. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I remember you guys came back. That was 05, like you said, in BC against Edmonton, and you guys were down yeah. big after the first half. You guys came back in the second half in a big way, and you guys yeah. took the lead and then lost in double overtime. I remember Anthony yep. Calvillo had a pass in double overtime. It was batted down at the line. I want to yeah. say that was Joe Monford, and Calvillo caught it again and threw it into the end zone, and Kerry Watkins dropped It wouldn't have counted anyway. Yeah. No, yeah, but uh, yeah, yeah, I remember that though. Yes, I do remember. <laughs> yeah, man, we we had some heartbreakers, man. Even even the one, my last one, in and um, I think it was this discussion. It was against BC. Um, a controversial call. The ref blew the whistle too early, and Chip picked up a fumble. That would have gave us, I think, the lead in the game. Like we was clearly a touchdown. Yes, and um, it was clearly a touchdown. I mean, we, I mean, we 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 had actually playing. It was a defense we had came up with all week. And it worked. We got to um, the quarterback, stripped him, and Chip picked it up for the touchdown. And for some reason, the ref blew the whistle. Yeah, I think I think it, Tim. I'm sorry to cut you off. I think that was in Winnipeg. And, yeah, Winnipeg. That's when it was. Yeah. And there was yeah. no. You guys were playing BC, and I remember all the talk was about how uh, Casey Printers was the quarter. The quarterback for BC was the MOP that year, but they still decided to go with. Uh, they went with Dickinson at quarterback yes, in that game. Yes, I wish they would have went with the other dude. Man, <laughs> man, that dude, man, he was so tough, man. I'm trying to tell you now. He 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 beat us that game. But with the one time we made him make a mistake, 
they didn't we didn't get to cash in on it and um and um that that changed the whole momentum of the game and when they blew that blew that uh blew that play dead because chip was gone to the house mm-hmm. yeah so for those who don't remember the fans listening that don't remember the 06 gray cup uh there was a strip sack on dave dickinson uh chip cox picked up the ball and he ran like there was nobody around him. And anyway, nobody. he was the fastest. He was the he fastest gone. guy on the field anyway. And he was gone. Mm-hmm. He was done. And that was that would have given you some insurance, some breathing room there. Yeah. And but yes. they called Dickinson down by contact, so they blew the play dead. You guys challenged yes. it. They reviewed. They overturned it. You got the ball. It. But got we the didn't ball. Get the yeah, you did. Yeah, it's, and it would have changed because their defense was good, and we couldn't move the ball on them, and that would have just changed the whole momentum of the game. Yeah, it's not like you're holding on to those. You know, it's not like you're holding on to a grudge, though, ain't it? <laughs> no, 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 no. But I just, I mean, like I, like I tell my wife and my kid, I, I remember the losses more than I do remember the wins. Yeah, but, no kidding. You know, I could just remember certain plays, man, that got away from us that, you know, could have changed history. Instead of saying a one-time champion, two, three-time champion, man, that's, you know, that's that's big to me, you know. So, but. You know, it is what it is, Joey. And, um, man, I wouldn't trade it, you know, for the world, man, in my time in Montreal, and that's for real. It's Saturday Sports on TSN 690. Joey Alfieri with you till noon in conversation uh, with former Alouettes all-star linebacker Tim Strickland. Uh, Tim, do you – like, how often do you, you you bust out the, the 0-2 Grey Cup ring? Uh, not too often. You know, my, my youngest son, he you know, he likes to wear it around every once in a while, but <laughs> not too often. You know, I'm – pretty much, you know, busy day-to-day doing, you know, I don't know if anybody knows, but I, you know, run a pest control company mm-hmm. here in Memphis, Tennessee. So, you know, I'm too busy training them or something else, man. But I rarely go back to those days, you know. I'm just busy, you know, running the business right now. But, you know, when I when I have to, I go back and talk about it. My time in Montreal was awesome. Um, you know, like I said, I wouldn't trade it for the world. Did you keep anything from your playing career, like outside of the ring? Is there oh, anything yeah. you kept? Yeah, yeah, I got jerseys and things like that, and um, you know that I that I hang up around the house and stuff like that. But you know, it's you know I don't I don't I don't sit back and brag on those days or nothing like that. It just it's just a part of my life that I you know I think I've spent six years in Montreal, met met a lot of great people, uh, formed a lot of great friendships, and um, I'm thankful for that. Yeah, one of the guys or one of the people I know you were particularly close with, and I don't know how many people remember this, uh, but when Don Matthews went to Toronto after Montreal, mm-hmm. you actually mm-hmm. followed, you joined them. I don't think you played for the Argos, but I no, know that I didn't play because I was coming off um, a shoulder, right? And my shoulder never quite healed, and I really wasn't in shape. But um, I tried, but it really wasn't gonna work out. My days were done, mm-hmm. and. Um, so I just kind of left it at that, and um, I, I moved on. But man, Don was my guy. Mm-hmm. Um, always kept it, you know, you know, between the lines, you know, and, and you know, always held guys accountable. I mean, that was I think that was one of his, his best ways of getting the best out of people. And you know, I, I, um, you know, for some reason we took a liking to each other because I was the same way. I think. Give me your best the the best Don Matthews story I've never heard. Rated R or PG? Uh, <laughs> I, I, I mean, we can we can walk a delicate balance. Give me, I mean, if we can clean, uh, let's I mean, clean up the language. Think, oh man, done, <laughs> man. I mean, one thing I just like, I kind of think I I I, I um I kind of something I take like 
when I when I come to work, man, whenever you step across those lines, man, I need I need your best performance, and that's kind of like how that's kind of how I move every day, you know. Um, I'm just trying to think of one episode of Don. He has so many, man. Um, I know one of <laughs> no, I can't use this one. <laughs> man. I don't know right now, Joey. Man, you done caught me. I, I'm, I'm trying to give you one a uh, delicate one, but it, it, he had a lot of sayings. But you know, you couldn't, you can't, you can't say them all. Say them on radio. Yeah, so, I know. I got you. Uh, yeah, man. But um, I mean, I, I guess one of the stories I kind of remember, man, about Don. I don't know if it's a good or not, but man, I just remember him cutting a guy for for trying to hit on one of his his, his girlfriend. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's that, that's kind of. I don't know if he was made the team or not, but I definitely know he made a mistake or tried to hit on that woman. I, I do remember that. Hold, hold, hold on a second. Hold, Tim, 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 hold on. we got to back up a second. You're telling me <laughs> that there was a dude on your team who tried hitting on the head coach's yeah. girlfriend? I think that might have been my first year in Montreal. That's kind of like oh, my boy. introduction done, man. That's like uh, I remember a guy, I think, he, he, we, I don't know if we were in a preseason game or something like that. And the guy hit on. I don't even know if he knew that was his girl, you know, because she was a young, uh, young girl. Yeah. Uh, nice looking, and um, I guess he hit on her, man. And uh, that thing you know, dude was packing his bags, man. So <laughs> that's kind of that's kind of done, man. You know, done. But you know, like I tell people, man, one thing about it, man, when it came to off the field, man, you can say what you want, but when it came to getting the best out of people, you know, he was one of the best. And uh, it's a lot of things that he does. That I even. And prior to my kids and how I run my business, man. So mm-hmm. I learned a lot from that day. Yeah, I, I think with Don, I mean, obviously, I was I was really young when he was here, and I was I got to interact with him as a fan, so I never got that. You know, I know how tough he was uh, with the media, but he always struck me as a guy uh, that probably had a really good sense of humor behind closed doors. Is that fair? Oh yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. And the thing about him now, he'll stick his neck out. You know, he took. You know, he he took a lot of heat for his players. So, yeah. um, you know, you got you know that's how I think that's how some guys you know stuck to him, man. And and me, man, I'm a professional, so mm-hmm. you know, me and him never had a problem, you know. So a lot of guys thought he played favors, but he really didn't. You know, what I'm saying? it's just the conversations we had, and a lot of time it was just really about game playing. <laughs> that's what people don't even understand. They think I go to his car, we'd be talking about something else, man. I'd be talking about trying to get a win. Yeah, you know, and that and that's why we came up with so many great ideas. Sometimes even putting in defense the day of the game, yeah, you know, you understand, and running that defense the whole game, that happened, you know, and that's just the trust he had in us and uh, and the stuff we did. Now we had great defense, great defense back then. I mean, we had guys that really got out to each other and held each other, held each other accountable. So, now I had a lot of great times with Don. Tim, the thing is, is and and now it's you know it's become uh, very common. You know that you see these exotic blitzes and all that stuff. But I remember you guys under Dawn, like you guys would rush everybody. Like you guys would rush the house. Like I remember, man, we we, man, we, we ran zero, yeah, probably to perfection. You, know, you understand? And um, um, running cover zero. And I look at some of these deep, even even people in the NFL trying to run that. They they still don't have any yeah. idea how to do it. Uh, and it was simple fact of we got away with it because we done uh, created a system where you couldn't be a, what he called a sack slut. You yeah. know what I'm saying? You had to give it. You had to take one for the team, and 
Like, if, if you're getting blocked, you have to take that block. You know, you can try to beat them. You have to let the guy who's going to come free come free. And a lot of times it was me. A lot of times it was Butler. Oh, yeah. A lot of times it was KJ. I mean, KJ literally uh, won defensive player of the year off one blitz. Yeah. You know, that just might go blitz and us playing uh, man-to-man. And a lot of play, a lot of times people thought we were doing a lot of exotic stuff. We wouldn't. We were playing a lot of man-to-man, um, you know, meeting people at the line of scrimmage, getting our hands on people. I don't even know how much we can even do that do with that right now in the CFL. But, uh, man, we had great cover guys. Uh, we had smart guys. And, you know, and you can see we had, during that time, I think we had two or three people get defensive player of the year, whether it's KJ or Anwar. Anwar, yeah. And, uh, yeah, man. So, you know, from that time I was there till I left, you know, I take pride in, you know, the defense we had. And probably our best team which is 2004, mm-hmm. um, that was our best record. We didn't even make it to the great club. AC, you know, AC we, got we, hurt, right? Yeah, and not not only AC, me, Reggie Dirt, yeah, Kwame. yeah, man. I mean, we were man, we would have easily beat Toronto, man. So uh, that was our best team, and I think after that, I, I think we lost um, Cope after that season. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, man, we we was we was rolling. We was, that defense, man. We we called ourselves the Stinger D. That's what <laughs> Kevin Johnson came up yeah. with, and um, and we lived by that, and that's for real. I remember. I remember. It's funny you mentioned you mentioned you mentioned Dwayne Butler, and and I remember. I'm pretty sure you played in this game. I don't see why you wouldn't have, unless you were banged up. But mm-hmm. they picked up Dwayne Butler uh, off. I want to say he was with Hamilton. They put him yeah, in at yeah, will. Yeah. They yes. put. <laughs> yes, he came in the next the next game in Winnipeg. He had six sacks. He had five sacks. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes five sacks. Yes, yes. And that was just strictly a, a scheme. You know, they they put that back to me to me on zero. You know. I know I'm not coming free unless he, you know, switches over to go get Butler. But Butler came free every single time. Yeah. And um, he got five seconds in his first game. And then, man, that defense was so, so scary. Man, I remember us making, um, what was my guy, the quarterback at Winnipeg at this time, uh, Kahari. Ka- I, remember, I remember us um, making Kahari fumble. He was looking at me so bad, he <laughs> forgot the snap was even coming. And um, and fumble the ball. We were playing in Montreal, man. That defense, man, we, we made a lot of people – you know, like quit, you know, like for real. <laughs> I mean, a lot of teams, a lot of offenses. So, you know, that's why I give it up to Machocha, Edmonton, them, because they, we, that was, you know, them games were epic, even the regular season games uh, back in those days. You might be aware, Tim, but I, I might blow your mind. You know what Kahari's up to right now? What are you doing? He's the head coach of the Montreal Alouettes. Oh, man. <laughs> I think I knew that. I think I knew yeah. that. But tell Kahara, I said what's that. But I remember me walking up to that line of scrimmage, man. Kahara was looking at me so much. He was, he was, he forgot the ball was in the snap. Man. The ball hit him right in his face, man. So, <laughs> so I, I remember that, man. We, our defense was scary, man. I mean, me, KJ, Deep Butler, Anwar, Philly Young, man. Come on, man. You, you didn't want to see us. Not now. Nah, not like that. Yeah, Ed Ed Fillion actually worked with. Uh, he was a colleague of mine here. He was the color analyst uh, for Alouette's games uh, on okay. on TSN six ninety. Now he's out uh, coaching with uh, Concordia University. So Ed yeah, still yeah, I, I follow him on Facebook. Me, me and Philly Young keep up with each other. That's my that's my guy, man. Um, uh, man, we had like I said. I mean, I can remember, man. One time, my rookie year, and Coach Don put on a video of us. I remember one time, man, they threw that ball all the way out to the far hash, man, and uh, and all 12 of us was on the tackle. <laughs> like, you know, like I said, our defenses were, man, we, we bought in, and, and it lasted for like five or six years. 
All right, there's one there's one Don Matthews thing I missed that I wanted to get to, uh, and you were talking about how sometimes he played favorites. And I know a big storyline uh, going into the 2002 Grey Cup mm-hmm. was uh, Mike Pringle versus Lawrence Phillips, and yeah, Lawrence Phillips yeah. ended up getting the start. Mike Pringle left and went to Edmonton. Like, what do you okay. remember? Like, what do you remember? How how touchy was that situation? How did Don manage it? And how how was it around the room, like Pringle versus Phillips? Oh, uh, now I'm just telling. Be real. Like when I was there, like like me and me and Lawrence Phillips came in with each other. Like we were yep. rookies, and you know, in the CFL. Yep. And uh, Mike had been around a while, and you know, I just think it, at that time, you know, Don was he had brought in Lawrence. Um, you know, and but Mike had a stronghold. You know, he was a you know he was the man there. You know, so um, but and at that point in time, you know, I mean, it's Lawrence Phillips, man. You know, and 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 Don did it. You know, played both. For, I can't even remember how much Pringle played that year, though. I don't think he did. He play a lot that year. I don't think he My played. Year, I, don't I don't think, think he, he played, played much. That much. Yeah. So I, I don't know if he got hurt or whatever. I can't remember, but. I just don't remember him being a, really a part of that locker room back then. Like, um, I think it was more of a, you know, a new era. And, um, and but, he, you know, he got picked up by Edmonton, and he got his revenge on yep. him. Perfect. I mean, so, you know, he proved he wasn't done, you know. But, you know, at that time, you know, and it's a business. You know, everybody gets moved. And Joe Montana played for the Kansas City Chiefs. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's just part of it, man. And, um but at that time, it was just a new era coming in. Um, Dunn brought in his people, and um, we bought in, you know. So, and that's that on that. Like I said, uh, but I just don't even really remember him being a part of that season a whole lot. If I'm being honest. Yeah, and I mean, you, like you mentioned, you and Lawrence came in at the same time, and that's such a like yeah. the, you know the way that yeah. ended. It's yeah. just so, it's a, such yeah. a tragic. So you know, we was you, you know I'm just you know back then being young, we was with Lawrence. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, he was out. You know. He was our starter, and you know, from me coming straight out of the states at that time, man, you heard Lawrence Phillips' name, man, you know what come with that, yeah. you know. So you knew he was the man. He was, man went what number six, uh, lottery pick or whatever. Yeah, it was six, I think. And, yeah, you know, I grew up looking at him, so you know, I didn't. And then I'm being honest, I didn't even hear Mike Pringle, so I'm like Lawrence Phillips, Mike Pringle, you know. So, but that was just me being a young guy, you know. You know, me and Dirty, Dirty had been at Montreal, so he had kind of, yeah. you know, filled me in on things. But, you know, me coming in, I was with Lawrence all the way. Hey, Tim, thanks for doing this, man. It was great to catch up, and I hope we can do it again real soon. Man, I have no problem with it, man. I just want to shout out to everybody in Montreal, man. I enjoyed my time there, man. I appreciate you having me out. That's Tim Strickland, of the formerly of the Montreal Alouettes, had a fantastic career uh, in Montreal. Great Cup champ, three-time East Division All-Star uh, in the CFL. And yes, he did join the Argonauts uh, toward the, the latter stages of his career, but we won't hold that against him because Tim's a good guy and uh, he's making things happen out in Memphis. Really cool to catch up uh, with Tim Strickland. Uh, that's all the time we have for today, folks, on Saturday Sports on TSN 690 with Joey Alfieri. Special thanks uh, to Tim, uh, who we just heard from. Jason Paul of uh, WaveIntel.org broke down the uh, Canadians from an analytics pr- perspective. Uh, Vasily Kremenzidis, the assistant sporting director uh, of the Montreal Impact joined us uh, earlier on this hour as well. If you missed any of the conversations, uh, any of those conversations, you can check them out momentarily. TSN690.ca. Have a great rest of the weekend, everybody.